welcome. It's good to see you. And uh, Okay, so I had last week off, and anybody who does any kind of preaching, if this is who you are and what you do, then having a week off is always dangerous for the church when you actually get back, because it's like, man, i got so much that I want to share with you, so I'm going to be very disciplined and uh, not, be, uh, not be too long, and uh, we're just, uh, it's good to be in the house of God. Um, I've had lots of different jobs since the age of 13. My first job was actually in a butcher's shop. And uh, I was in charge of making dog meat out of the offal that came out of the various animals that came into the butcher's shop. And uh, it was a great job. I loved it. We could play uh, all sorts of games because, sorry if this is going to put you off your coffee, but it's true. Uh, offal gets sticky and you can throw it at each other. It sticks on you. It's like, it's like paint ball, but butcher style. It's, it's great. Loved it. And then I was, worked in the stables and I've worked in uh, camps. I've worked in a uh, fish and chip shop. Fantastic job as well when you are 18, 19 and you just absorb fat like it's nothing. All I need to do now is smell fish and chips and I put 20 pound on. But like I was eating fish and chips and it was while Sarah and I were dating and we were, uh, it was just the best job. But one of the jobs I really did enjoy is when I started at university, I worked in a, in a shop that's a lot like American Eagle and it's called Burton's. And Burton's is a, uh, It was an interesting place to work because I worked in real, and I've told you stories before about what real is like, Uh, but my main responsibility was making sure people don't steal stuff. And uh, I loved it because it gave me an opportunity to run around the town chasing after shoplifters. Now, it said very, very clearly that we weren't to do that, but it's very hard when you're a young guy and as energetic as I was... And I loved rugby, I loved tackling, it was everything, that's what I was doing in my spare time. And if somebody grabs a pair of Levi jeans and starts running out of the store up the high street, you know, I'm not thinking I shouldn't chase them. I'm like, I'm, I'm going after this, this is just the best. I didn't even think about what might happen when I catch them. And I, 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 it happened most weeks. I'd end up chasing somebody around. It was, it was great. I loved it. It was a brilliant job. I never got injured. Sarah would roll her eyes. I was there for four years and just enjoyed chasing after thieves. Even if they weren't thieves, if you look like a thief and you ran out of the store, you could expect me to be chasing after you because you look suspicious. And uh, that's not true. Actually, that did happen once. Somebody left pretty quick, and I didn't actually chase them. I just followed them, and uh, yeah, and, and they weren't a thief. They were actually a really nice person, I found out, when I accosted them and asked them. That didn't go down so well. But thieving, stealing, we're really, really good when it comes to rules and standards of morals, of distancing ourselves from... Things that we don't believe really apply to us. And so we've been working through the Ten Ten Commandments over the last few weeks. And we've hit a couple of commands where immediately the temptation is to go, that doesn't include me. For example, do not murder. And, you know, well, I haven't murdered anybody this week. But we, we looked into what that actually means. And suddenly those people and those of us that distance ourselves and go, well, that's not for me. Suddenly we're pulled straight into it and go, actually... I, you know, the, the undercurrent of teaching is very applicable to me. And, and when we looked at do not murder, we started talking about this term that's on the screen right now called Imago Dei. This Imago Dei, this, this statement, it means image, Imago Dei, God, image of God, that we've been created, the world has been created in the image of God. But it's broken. And we can see clues of the image of God everywhere we go. We can see it in creation. We can see it in the beauty of a newborn child. We can see it in the beauty of of a human being, the fact that we all search for something, that we have clues. There's fingerprints of the Imago Dei on each of us. Even if we're a long way away from God, there there is an aspect of the dignity and the sanctity of life upon every person. No matter how distant, we can find something that we can be grateful for if they've been created in the image of God. And then this 
this image of God, this Imago Dei, covers creation as well. And so God said, here's the planet. And we talked in uh, Do Not Murder Command, if you want to go back. We, we talked about creationism and evolution and, and how there is no answer given from science for the way that the world is so finely tuned. And it's all perfectly balanced and beautifully perfect. And we examined that and we said that this is the image of God again upon creation and that humanity does not have an answer for this outside of, well, one day we'll find out. The image of God is everywhere. It affects our thinking. It should affect the way that we act. Imago Dei speaks towards dignity, sanctity. There's an order to creation. And if you remember, I showed you a picture of my family and I said, there's something about even if an image is poor, even if it's been printed poorly, you can still see aspects of my family on this piece of paper. And I still didn't want to be careless with it, if you remember. And you need to go back and watch the video or listen to the audio. I don't want to rip a picture of my family, even though it's not actually my family. It's just a picture. We're careless towards Imago Day. We're careless towards life. We're careless towards one another. And today's command is very much like that. Today's command is do not steal. And again, we can, we can distance ourselves from it. I can rule myself as moral and, and as pure, that I am not a thief. I don't go into a shop and steal Levi jeans or a shirt. I'm not a thief. I can say that with some confidence because I, you know, I, I know that's not an aspect of my life that I'm struggling with. But as we've said, the commands do not allow us to distance ourselves. This command has something to do with every one of us in this building. You see, God has created Imago Day with a certain structure, with a certain order, with a certain sanctity of life. It's been broken through pride when sin came into the world through Adam and Eve. Now we're living in this broken Imago Dei. And through Jesus Christ, we can be restored back to where it should be, the original Imago Dei, the the order that God has given us. And the Ten Commandments are really just the design for life. They are an order. They're not an end in themselves. So therefore, we can call ourselves proud Because I'm not a thief, or I'm not a murderer, or I honor my mom and dad. And we can't stand up and say, hey, I'm following the rules, therefore, this is the ultimate end to life. These these rules just get us to the end goal, which is to be like Jesus, to be fulfilling the Imago Dei. So the question this morning is, is what does this do not steal? How does this affect me? How uh, How does it affect my life? Without Imago Dei, we talked about how there's no human dignity. We're just animals. If you really, really want to truly believe the, uh, the, the, the evolutionary idea of the origin of man. Now remember, I'm not pulling apart evolution and saying there is no such thing as evolution because there, there is evolution in the world. There's, there's adaptation and changes. What I'm talking about is animal mutation. The, the idea that we all started with this primordial soup and then we find ourselves as human beings, that if we really believe that, we don't believe that there's a God who creates, then we're just animals. Animals, the strong killing off the weak. So therefore, why do we care about murder? Well, it's just the weak dying, surely, if we don't believe in Imago Dei. Why do we believe in social justice and helping the poor? Well, it's just tough. They should just get on with it because, you know, we're all animals. It's, 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 it's the strong that overcomes the weak. Who cares? We, we, don't, we don't think that way because we're not animals. We're humans. We have a mark of the Imago Dei. There's this sanctity of life. We can't distance ourselves from it. And in Exodus 20, verse 15, it says, You shall not steal. And there's another verse I just want to throw into the mix that we're going to come back to in a second. And and it's very much attached to this verse. And it's Philippians 4 verse 13. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The classic Christian mug scripture. Right? You go to a Christian bookstore, you will find that scripture everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes. That is me. That scripture is so quoted out of context. It's unbelievable. We're going to come to that scripture in a second, and it's actually connected to do not steal. So that's our journey. That's our journey that I'm going to take on 
this morning. How many of you have ever had anything stolen from you? Just raise your hands. Okay. How many of you, when you had something stolen from you, went, Ah, well, easy come, easy go. It hurts, doesn't it? You know, we, we live in a society where theft is prevalent everywhere. We've got locks on our doors. We have security alarms on our houses, on our cars. We have passwords ad nauseum everywhere. I don't know about you, but I am just so tired of clicking that button on the website, forgotten your password, and then in brackets, idiot. It doesn't actually say that, but I, that's how I feel. And there's only so many combinations you can do of your children's names and your pets' names with dash underscore one hyphen Z, you know. And and it's just mind-bogglingly complicated, this world we live in. But why do we do that? It's because we don't want people to come in and steal our information or steal our money. We've had somebody hack into our bank account when we first came into Canada and stole some money. And the bank said, well, it's impossible. And we went, it's not. The money was transferred from here to an account in Montreal. We don't live in Montreal. We're not that clever. We can't do both. And eventually they admitted, yes, somebody had taken, but you must have given your password to somebody. That was their answer. There's passwords and codes and and PIN numbers. And how many of you actually do do this when you're buying a coffee on your debit card? I, I don't anymore. I might as well just gather a crowd around. Come and have a look. I might as well just declare my number, 8763... It's not that number before you write it all down. I'm not that daft. <laughs> My children know the number, so you could... Uh, you could I shouldn't have told you that either. <laughs> That's real trust when you could give your kids your visa card and debit card. Oh, yeah. Passwords, codes everywhere. Do not steal. Stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you. It's pretty straightforward. But why is it wrong? Why is stealing wrong? Well, it's just not right. Yeah, but why? Well, it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to me. So why is that wrong that somebody shouldn't just take it off you? Have you ever thought about it? This is like the do not murder. Why is it wrong to murder? Well, it's just not right. Why? And you keep peeling back the layers on these commands. You come down to basically Imago Day again. See, in the beginning, we were told by God as humans to care for and tend to the world. God gave us creation to look after. There's something inside human beings, inside every one of you, and inside us all from a very young age where there's this sense of mine. Right? It's mine. We're built to care. We want to care for stuff. We want to procure stuff. We want to get stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that because we are, we are by nature. We enjoy the process of getting new things or new things to us. And then we look after them. I've, I know what some of you are like with certain possessions that you own, whether it be a car or a bike or a particular book or a piece of art we, or a house. We want to look after. We want to care. There's something human about looking after something. It's a Margot Day. It's the fingerprint of God. That's how we've been created. It makes us feel human. We love the chase of new things. As soon as we've got that new thing, we're looking for another new thing to chase after. And maybe it's not a material thing. Maybe it's just a feeling in life or something that you, you want more of, that we're continually on the chase. It's the Imago Dei. It's the way we've been created. So stealing is being careless towards the Imago Dei. Stealing is being careless to another human's need to look after things. See, if we own something or we see something as ours and then somebody comes and takes that away from us and we didn't give them permission, we don't just feel sorry, we feel violated, don't we? Some of you have had experiences where something very precious of yours has been taken away and it feels more than just a possession no longer in your hands or in your, in your, in your life. You feel that that person violated you. It's an inbuilt need innately given to us by, that we innately have given to us by God to look after and care for things. And when somebody comes and takes that away... It's a violation of that thing that God has placed in us. 
And see, biblically, there are two ways in which we are told we steal. The first one is very obvious, the one that I've already described, which is, 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 is thievery, where you actually take something from somebody and then run off. The shoplifter. And so what we do when we think of that kind of thievery or stealing, we distance ourselves from it because we say, well, we don't struggle with that. But I want to suggest to you that as humans, by nature, we steal. That seems like a harsh thing to say, and I want to show you what I mean this morning. But there's two ways I want to suggest to you, biblically, that God shows us that we steal. And the first one, very simply, is that we take stuff that doesn't belong to us. But we do it in subtle ways. We distance ourselves from it. We rationalize our actions. We still say, well, we're good people, even though we are on the take. It's that kind of idea that as long as we distance ourselves from it, we can still keep our moral standard. And I don't know how many golfers we have in the room, but we have, we have some interesting kind of uh, views when it comes to ourselves and other people. And golf is a good example. You, you take your shot and it goes off into the rough somewhere and you shout, I'm just going to go and find the ball. And you find your ball. And I wonder how many times it's crossed your mind, those of you who play golf, and you can equate this to other things as well. Well, you know what? They're not looking, so I'll just, I'll just move the ball back onto the fairway, making life easier. And we can rationalize that. Well, they're way better than me, and I bet you he or she cheats all the time anyway. But what we do is this. It's very difficult, and it's research. Why somebody would research and spend money on this, I don't know. But massive amounts of research has shown that people very rarely pick up the golf ball and put it down. They use the foot. Or they use the golf club. And it's not so much about trying to be subtle, it's more about distancing ourselves away from the action. The action is still cheating. In some sense, it's stealing. But we distance ourselves from it, we rationalize it, we still maintain our good moral standards. So I want to pick away at that a little bit by showing you some of the ways in our culture where it has become acceptable to steal. And I'm doing it in a way where not only to, I'm not seeking to convict just for conviction's sake, although that's a good thing. I just want you to see how stealing is so much more than taking something that's not ours. There are many ways in which we steal. Um, and those of you who own businesses, you will certainly resonate with some of this. One of the big ways is the way that employees steal from employers. Uh, recent studies have shown, CNN were reported on this, that one out of three businesses go out of business as a result of employee theft. Hayes International Consultants said that the average employee steals 5.5 times more than the average shoplifter. Some of you might be really itching to go, yes, amen, as that's happened to me, where an employee has stolen from an employer. How does that, what does that look like? Well, very simply, how do you, how do you steal from your employer not working to your full ability, for one, You're stealing time, or maybe you're on the internet when you should be doing your work. Social media is an absolute plague in workplaces. That's stealing from your employer. Socializing when you should be working, or doing your own personal business. Again, a study showed that the two most visited websites in workplaces, number one, you're going to be able to guess this is what? Facebook. Number two, LinkedIn. Employees looking for other jobs <laughs> while they're at work. It's theft. It's stealing. Ah, no, no, Glenn, it's not. Okay, are you just flicking the golf ball right now when you think that? Just distancing myself away from it? Because if somebody steals from us, it's wrong. When we steal from someone else, ah, but there's a reason. You don't understand. It's convicting. Another way that employees steal from employers is they just help themselves. Like, you know, maybe it's just photocopying, paper, little things. We rationalize it and go, oh, but it's only a piece of paper. And this is a multi-million dollar company. They're not going to miss it. That's not the point. We're rationalizing the same behavior, which is theft. Accidentally, on purpose, miscalculating expense forms. Data manipulation. Fake company invoices. 
I've known people setting up their own fake company and then invoicing a business that they're employed by and pocketing the cash. It's unbelievable the amount of ways in our culture where stealing actually happens and it affects every one of us. Can I say, if you have a job, somebody before you went ahead of you and was a perfect, I believe, employee. And his name was Jesus. Jesus had a job for 30 years. And I would argue for three more years after that, a much harder job. But a regular swinging a hammer construction worker job. I'm going to guess that Jesus was not kicking back, reading in the corner when his dad was doing the construction work, and he was just kind of skipping out and doing his own thing, or stealing nails, or taking hammers, or whatever it might be. He worked hard. How do I know that? Because it's part of the Imago Day. It's built into us to actually be respectful towards other people, even in our workplace. As Christians, we should be the hardest working, most moral, full of integrity, honest people that anyone should be able to employ. We should not be moaning or complaining. We should be doing our very, very best so that when you actually do perhaps express that you are a Christian, people don't step back in horror and go, what? No. Because I just stole you steal a photocopier. No. I'm, it's not as big as that. It's the, can you stand by your word? Then we have employers stealing from employees. There are so many numerous ways that an employer or a business owner can actually steal from their employees. The employee's rights, the employee's life, the employee's time, their pay, always trying to undercut and overwork. As employers, as business owners, we should be going out of our way to treat our people with respect and dignity that reflects the Imago Dei that is imprinted in them by God. You see how stealing, again, comes back to sanctity and dignity of life. is treating your employees in such a way that your employee turnover is minimal compared to industry standards. They don't want to go anywhere else because your place is the best place for them to work. That's you showing them Jesus Christ. The way businesses run their businesses, the bribes, the bid rigging, the kickbacks, the little, you know, as we say in Britain, you know, the bit of how's your father, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, get it done. It's wrong. It's stealing. It's inappropriate, it's unbiblical, it's not godly. And as Christians, we should be striving to follow through with this command in such a way that we're not trying to use other people to leverage their skill to find our gain. So whether you are, if you are working for someone or you're trying to add value, because employment is very simple. Somebody pays you because you are adding value to what they are trying to do. Your customer or client is paying you because you are adding value in some way to their life. Let's make it our goal as Christians to add the ultimate value to their life by our hard work and showing them the love of Christ as we do it and by how we do it. Do not steal. See, now suddenly we're not just kicking the ball and distancing ourselves from this command. We're pulled right in. This has to do with every one of us. It's the little things in life. I could spend a lot of time talking about downloading stuff from the internet. Everybody's doing it, Glenn. Doesn't make it right. Stealing. Yeah, but Glenn, you know, if you don't cheat, you only cheat yourself, right? (laughs) I've said that when we play cards. That's kind of my tagline when we play cards. But in life, that's wrong. Kids, those of you, my kids in the room, please don't remind me that I've preached this. But the, the mentality of... Taking that which isn't yours to leverage a gain for yourself. It's one thing cheating in cards with your kids. For fun, don't judge. Man, I'm in trouble. Like, you know what? I'm going to stop. <laughs> but cheating in life in order for you to get personal gain, for you to actually seek ways that you can build yourself up on the back of somebody else, do not steal. Do not steal. It's theft and it's wrong. And interestingly, it empties you 
of life. The more you steal, the more it seems to change you and empty you. And not only are you violating somebody else and emptying them of life, it seems to affect and change you. And it creates guilt. And after a while, this guilt gets pressed down and we tend to steal more and more. And and human nature, it never decreases, it increases. So let's seek personal integrity in the way that we do life. Let's seek workplace integrity. Let's seek national integrity, the way countries use other countries and leverage their resources for their personal gain and and use our own resources in order to get something from this other country. It's just so rife, this command. We're called to take care of one another, not leverage the other person for our gain. And as we seek to care for one another, that is fulfilling Amargo Day. So that's the first way the Bible tells us that we steal, by literally taking something. But there's a second way that is really clear. And and in order for us to kind of unpack this, my third point is life on trust. In Psalm 24 and verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. It's a very simple scripture and one of many in the Bible that speaks to the strong mega theme throughout the Bible that we don't own this. This is not ours. This world, this creation, life itself, the child that you look after, the job that you have, the bank account you're filling, the car that you're driving, the house you're living in, the bed you're sleeping in, the socks that you're wearing, they're not yours. Yeah, but Glenn, I work for them. Okay, well, let's unpack that. Where did the ability come from for you to be able to actually earn that money for you to think that you could go and buy something yourself? Where did that ability come from? Where did the breath of life come from to get you out of bed in the morning and go do? It's not yours. Now, that might on outset seem like a very harsh, restrictive outlook, but I want to show you that if we can actually grab that life is not ours, that everything is the Lord's, that the whole creation is His, then it's incredibly freeing. It's very, very freeing. We are trustees, not owners. God has given us to steward creation. God has given us our children, and we are trustees. They are His kids. He loves them more than you love your children. Your your wife, your husband, your, your job, everything is his. You are trustees of that. We're stewards of that. And that's why we want to work hard at it because we're not owners. We were put here to take care of the earth so that it might flourish. Everything we touch should flourish in some way. It should be improved in some way. It should be looked after in some way, cared for. That even a conversation with somebody that you don't know in a coffee shop, they should leave feeling better because they've had that conversation with you. That's looking after and seeing that we're here as stewards and trustees, not looking at the world in such a way as say, okay, how can I use all this just to get for me? Everything is his. There's a scripture that uh, Colleen is not aware of this, but this has been on my mind a lot. And then Colleen last Sunday sent me this scripture just as an encouragement. So I know that God is speaking to me through this. And it's Isaiah 55 and uh, verse 1 through 2. And it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's what God is saying. If you're thirsty, if you're in need, come to me and I will give you that which you have not bought. Notice it says, come buy and eat. Buy with what? You see, we don't bring anything to the table. Everything is presented to us and God says, come and enjoy it. Be part of it. Be part of the plan. Enjoy that which isn't yours. Come and enjoy it. Now, if you're going to a banquet or you're going to something and somebody gives you something and, and it's a precious thing, then you're very aware, you're very grateful and you hold it tentatively and you go, man, I can't believe that this is mine. You don't immediately go, yes, quite right too. You hold it with a sense of, Gratefulness and thankfulness and joy that this is unreal. That knowing who I am, yet God decides in his wisdom to say, come Glenn, I'll give you what you need. But it's not yours. 
We get invited to enjoy without having paid any price or for owning it. You see, in the beginning, we, we were placed as stewards over creation. And then pride took over and we thought, hey, this is mine. I can rule this myself. I can, I can take over this myself. And that's basically what Adam and Eve were doing. They wanted to be their own rulers. And, and as a result, sin came into the world and we were separated from God. And now we have a debt because we are using this world in such a way that it was never meant to be used. We treat the creation in a way that it was never meant to be treated. We treat one another in a way that God never meant for it to happen. Because we're breaking the Imago Day, So we're building up this debt. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean by this. Imagine you visit a, a, a stately home. One of these beautiful, ornate 16th century. Think Downton Abbey. For those of you who watched that, beautiful stately home. Everything in it is antique and it's just gorgeous and wonderful. And, and the owner of the home says to you, okay, this home, you can live in it. I will give you food. I will look after you. You will be warm. This will be your home. Here's what I ask of you, though. I want you to look after it. I want you to make sure that everything is clean and tidy and in place, that the gardens are well looked after, but it's your home. Now, in some sense, after a while, and quite understandably, you would start feeling like it's yours, but at the same time, always aware that it's not. Does that make sense? It starts feeling like you've got some ownership over it because you feel responsible for it, but it's never in any sense yours. So imagine one day you decide, well, I'm going to start treating this house like it's mine. And you put your muddy boots up on the cabinet, this 16th century tea chest or something like that. And you start drinking the drink and you start just lounging around, not doing any work. And you're just treating the place literally like it's yours, but with no respect and no regard. Suddenly, in some sense, you are stealing from the owner. And you now owe him or her a debt. The world is exactly the same. God said, come, dwell, be part of, be involved in. It's your home. This is what I ask of you, though. Treat life as sacred. Look after that which I've given you. Never forget who it was who gave it you. Never forget whose this really belongs to. But come, eat, enjoy. And we put our muddy boots all over the life. We start treating it like it's ours. We start thinking that we're in charge. We start thinking that we can treat other people for our own gain. And we start destroying slowly this home, this house that God has given us. We start owing him a debt called sin that is weighing on us. We know this isn't the right way because the creation is groaning. And we can see that, that life itself seems to be groaning. We can feel that. And we, we, we're involved in some kind of theft by nature of thinking that we own something that we don't, treating it like it's ours when it's not. My lovely wife has a job that she thoroughly enjoys in the high school, middle school library at KCS. Sarah was born for this job. She says herself that when she was young, she used to, one of the things that she really wanted was when she visited the libraries, and those of you who are old enough, I assume it was the same in North America as it was in Britain, that nothing was scanned. You actually had little, little drawers full of little cards. Did you have that? And the librarian would do this and look for your book. Am I right? Sarah, that's, that's just, I don't know why, but that's just life to her. These, these ideas of just being able to go through this, looking for the book. One day I will actually buy you something like that and fill it. But this is turned now into a job where she's scanning. But woe betide anybody who doesn't return her book. She will hunt you down. And I'm not even kidding. She will arrive at your house. If she knows you, hey, I've come and picked up this book. Kids, come and get the book. She's driven kids home to get the book, bring it back to school. She's the type of librarian that will just has turned it into this kind of assassin's kind of mentality. If I get you in your sights, you better sleep with one eye open, my friend. I don't care if you're in grade seven. Give me that book back. You've been warned. For those of you who are KCS parents, you, some of you may even know what I'm talking about. Show of hands. See? <laughs> Some of the kids are going, yes, but kind of afraid because they think, actually, I think I might still have a book. Sarah's like this. 
she is, she's lovely, but very determined. <laughs> you see, you don't own the book. The school owns the book. Sarah has been called to steward that, but you don't own the book. We don't own a book that we get from the library. We are trustees of that book, and, uh, and, and so there's a debt to be paid if we don't treat that book right. If we don't return it, if we don't recognize who actually owns it, there's a debt to pay. And we built up this debt. And on a global, eternal level, the owner requires payment for the way in which we have treated that which is not ours. Because in some sense, in some very real sense, the Bible shows us that when we treat something as ours that is not, it is theft. And unfortunately, it's a debt that we cannot pay. And it weighs heavy. And it affects our decisions and outlook. This debt of knowing, this weight of feeling that life is not the way it should be. It's this feeling of debt, this sin that builds in our life. That you are living life in such a way that you think that it's yours and you cannot fix yourself. You cannot pay this debt yourself. We continue to seek to keep and to gain. We see others as ways for ourselves to achieve. And there's no freedom in that. There is no friends. There is no freedom in believing that everything is yours because you stop obsessing over it. Stop worrying over it. But one who was supremely selfless and giving paid the debt. And his name was Jesus. And then he said, all those who believe, your debt will be wiped clean. I paid it for you on the cross. So now you can live free. You can live in such a way where you can, you can see life as a gift. You can see life as something that you don't own. Not something that you should leverage. Not something that you are seeking to fix. It's now all pointed and turned to Jesus, to God, that we're living as trustees. That we can live with an open hand on everything that has been given to us. From the smallest to the largest, to the most precious, to the thing that doesn't mean really much to anybody but you. All of that is to point to Jesus, to make much of Jesus. And you can live with an open hand. So fulfilling this commandment is living in a way that says, do not steal because it's not yours to steal. It's not yours to keep hold. You can hold it with an open hand. So look at your business. It's not yours. Look at your wealth. It's not yours. Look at your children. They're not yours. Your trustees, your stewards, To use that which has been given you to make much of Jesus. And it is freeing. It's freeing. See in Ephesians 4 and verse 28 it says, Let the thief no longer steal. But rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul tells us here. That the opposite of stealing is generosity. He's saying if you want to stop being a thief, it's not that you just stop stealing stuff. If you want to not be a thief, live generously. Live in such a way where you just continue to give. That's the opposite to stealing. Where we become generous. So there are two ways that we can live. We can either keep, we can take, this is mine, This is not yours, and I'm going to use you to get more of it. Or, it's just two ways. You live in such a way where it's not mine, and I'm going to live generously. Because it's not mine to keep. Freedom is found here. Because if you can live life like that, that's freedom. Philippians 4 verse 13. The coffee mug scripture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let me help you. Please, please, please do not use this scripture in the context of, I can do everything because of Jesus. That's not what it means. It's not what it says. The context of this is generosity. Paul is talking to a church that has been generous financially towards a given need. And he's saying, because of your generosity, you can live life 
in such a way where I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's the Paul statement of I have learned to be content in everything. And whether I have much, whether I have little, I can do all things. Life does not restrict me because I am free. It's linked to generosity. It's linked to seeing life in a way where we are seeing it as God's, not our own. Once we get there, we can hold life lightly. We see ourselves as part of a larger story. We treat one another with dignity. We do not dehumanize by stealing or seeking gain at somebody else's expense. We treat one another like they are sacred in the eyes of God. That there's a Margot day, there's a sanctity of life. We can live generously. So how? Let me pull this up to finish. How do we live like this? In Acts 2.42, there's this beautiful picture of a church that is living this out. That they can do all things because Jesus is the one who's supplying their needs. Because they are living generously. It says, to whomever had need, they would sell their possessions and give it away. There was this harmony and beauty about life. They were fulfilling the Imago Day in a very real sense. So how do you get to that place where you see life as a gift? How do we treat one another with dignity and love, even those ones that are crying out not to be? How how do we take how do we not take or just keep for our own personal gain how do we live with this sense of freedom i believe part of the answer and a very real part of the answer is what acts 242 and that church experienced they lived and this statement has been resonating in my mind and my spirit for a couple of weeks now they lived with a very real present reality of god in their life They sensed that God was a very real presence in their life. There is present reality of God through Jesus Christ. Friends, if we understood how present and real God was on a daily basis, would we be holding on to everything like this? Would we be seeking gain? Would we be stealing because it's a sense of control? If we really, truly believe that God was part of every aspect of our life, that he really loved us and he really cared for us and he really cared for our kids, that he has their best in mind, that that this whole story is controlled and held by God. If we really had a sense of God's present reality in our life, I wonder whether our life would look the way that it does now. How would we treat people? How would we speak? How would we look to serve? If we truly understand how much we are loved, how much God is with us, how present and in control he is, what would my life look like? What would your business life look like? What would your parenting look like? What would your grandparenting look like? What would your work life look like? Your study life look like? If you truly, truly lived like God was right there loving you through it all, what would it look like? That even when things look really bleak and completely impossible, that you could still say, yeah, but I know that God is with me. I know that he loves me. And I know it because I can look to the cross and I can see representation there through Jesus of his love for me. How do you, as a, somebody who's maybe not surrendered your life to Christ, sincerely, how do you live life? How is it that you can hold on so tightly, truly believing that somehow your actions are going to have eternal consequences, that your future is secure because you truly think that you are able and you are capable of fixing that which you know when it goes quiet at night and it is just you in the darkness and your tears, you know are very, very real. You cannot fix yourself. You can't. And I'm pleading with you, do not leave this place under the illusion that somehow you are going to be the only one in this world, somehow, that you are going to cope, that you are going to be different, you are going to change, you are going to be in control when you get that phone call. My brother Sean is a few years older than me, and he's not a Christian. And we found out a few weeks ago that he has cancer, stage 3 cancer of the esophagus. It's very, very serious. He doesn't know Jesus. And I say this hoping that he'll hear this message one day. And I genuinely, my wife and my children have seen it. 
I weep over him, not so much because of the cancer, as horrible as that is and as bleak as that might be, and, and the journey that he has to go on and the operation is just horrendous. It is not, you understand what I mean? This is not a good cancer to get, is what I'm saying. No cancer is good, but you get what I mean. Do you know what I weep over? Sean, how do you do it? When he wakes up at night with panic attacks, so much so that he can't breathe and he thinks his heart is going to stop because he's so scared. Sean, how do you do it? Does it mean that as Christians that we can just say, ah, it's all easy? No, but through the weeping and through the sorrow, there is a hope for the present reality of God. Do you have that? Do you have that? Because it's so simple to get. And I hate saying it like that because it makes it so, it's almost irreverent because it makes us like, it's all about the get. But do you have that? That sense of the present reality of God? That you can look at life with an open hand, that you're not just stealing and taking from life, but you're giving and giving back? That when your children look at you, do they see a sense of hope that is outside of your bank account or the car you drive? Do they see it? Do they sense it? Your friends, your employees, your employers, do they see it? Do they sense it? How do you live life without it? I know the answer to the question that I'm asking you is you can't truly live life without it. I pray for my brother Sean. I love him. But more than anything else, I pray that he comes into a living relationship with Jesus because I have sat by the bedside of people who have passed away all sorts of different ages who have a hope and a faith that even in the face of the darkest of times, there is a light inside of them that you don't get from a self-help book, business seminar video, bank account, car, house. You just don't. And I know that's very real for some in the room and I think about Wendy's dad and it's beautiful. Do you have that present sense of God's reality? So how do you get that? Well, here's how I believe. If you are even slightly being convicted right now at this moment, that there's a slight tug on your heart, on your spirit, that what I'm saying might be true, that you believe in some way that, you know what, maybe I am stealing, maybe I am looking at life in such a way that it's all about me. Here's what the Bible says, that the power of the gospel is God's, that that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. It says he's kind of wooing you into the kingdom. So what we do is we come in recognition of who we are and who we are not before God. And we say, God, forgive me for believing that I can do this. Forgive me for the sin, for the debt that I owe. And we look to Jesus and we see that as Jesus Christ died on the cross, all that debt, all that sin, all that shame died with him. All the thievery dies with him. And the Bible says that his life is ours to live. And then we live under the shadow of the cross, generously giving. And the Bible says that that happens in an instant. This is the most serious thing I can tell you. I tell my kids the two most important decisions you're going to make in life are the decision towards Christ and who you're going to marry. (laughs) Where do you stand when you look down into eternity? Don't steal. Do not steal. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I I am so aware that my humanly tainted, fumbling words 
do not give any kind of justice to the importance and magnitude and beauty of this message. But Lord, I pray that even as I am praying right now, that by your power and by your might and by your spirit, that Lord, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, I pray for those in the room who are interested, know there's something missing, but haven't surrendered, haven't said that prayer, haven't come to you and asked for forgiveness and experienced that salvation. Lord, I pray that even as we worship and praise you in a second, that or this week or whenever it might happen, that God, that they would come to you and they would seek you. They would talk to somebody. They would maybe get prayer at the end of the service. Lord Jesus, give this church souls, I pray. Lord, for those of us in the room that have maybe been Christians for many, many years, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, as we look to you, Jesus, that you would help us and give us the ability to hold life lightly because we recognize that life is yours. Your word says that you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to live life through the lens of your present reality, that you love us, That you love our loved ones. You love our brothers and our sisters and our children and our moms and our dads. You love them more than we love them, which seems impossible. But Lord, I thank you for your present reality that you are in control. And Lord, I pray that as we look at life, through that lens of it not belonging to us and that you are here with us, that God, that we would be bold in what we say and what we do. Time is short. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to ask the band, just as we keep our eyes closed, just to maybe play quietly and maybe we can just...